Welcome to Creative Place, the podcast for creative placemakers. I'm your host, Andrea Orlando. Listen in on this chat with theater artists Daryl Deloach and Julie Hendren of Positive Policing, which uses role-playing and improvisation to improve interactions between law enforcement officers and young men of color. This conversation was part of the National Consortium for Creative Placemaking's Community Coffee Talk series, and you'll hear Daryl and Julie discussing the limitations and opportunities of virtual engagement with other artists from around the country. Now that we're recording, I I just want to say today's date is Thursday, July 23rd, 2020. And so I'm saying that because just yesterday, the White House announced that uh, they they want to send troops, military personnel into Albuquerque. And so our guests are from Albuquerque. And, you know, I just want to note that because this recording is going to live on as a video and then later as a podcast. And just want to make sure that when we're listening, we we understand the moment in history that, that we're in right now. With that, I'm going to introduce my first guest. So His name is Daryl Deloach. He's an actor by training who discovered the transformative power of the theater when he was in middle school. And I met him at the 2019 West Creative Placemaking Leadership Summit in Albuquerque, where he and a colleague presented a sample workshop from their positive policing business. Part of what they do is they invite young men of color and law enforcement officers to role play and they use a theater of the oppressed model. And I interviewed him and his colleague, Hakeem Bellamy, back then, and we published a podcast episode, and I'm circling back with him today. Uh, it's really just a coincidence that Albuquerque is in the news today. Uh, we, we've been planning this for, for about a month. And so I also met Julie Hendren, but I'm gonna turn it over to Daryl to introduce Julie. So, All right. Um, and I'll just get right into the introduction. Julie is a colleague of mine for many years. Uh, I, I don't know. You know, I, I think about all my theater friends and if we've been in actual plays together, but we've seen so many and been in so many. Um, she's the executive director of the Trick Lock Company and the, um, the, dire- the curator of the Revolutions International Theater Festival, which was in its 27th year at the beginning of this year, when, when everything went to hell in a handbasket. Through the years, she has produced events for over 40 diff- throughout 40 different countries, really that many countries. And uh, around the world, she is director, writer, actor, teacher, most importantly, and uh, has taught and performed across the US, Canada, Europe, Argentina, China. I, I think I left out a few countries in there. That- <laughs> but, uh, most importantly, here in Albuquerque, she's the supervisor for the SeaWorks company that we uh, grew or, or came to this uh, role play work through. It's a reality-based training organization that um, works with law enforcement throughout New Mexico and Colorado. And we sort of train in these communication and mediation, verbal de-escalation skills. And she's also the administrative director of the positive policing that we do through her uh, her uh, theater company as well. So uh, this, uh, the concept for positive policing sort of focuses on the connection between sort of, you know, the, the healing aspects of, of theater. And I, I could go on and on and on, but I'll let, I'll let her take it from there. Mm-hmm. Hi, Julie. Welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. Thanks for having both of us. Yeah, we just, I mean, I feel like Daryl and I both long time, just, you know, long time theater people both started as actors and have evolved into many things throughout the, you know, in the arts sector, but have really been focusing on and finding this impactful work around reality based training and utilizing theater as healing and reality based training for, for actual training 
with people who need uh, various skills. And particularly we work with, with law enforcement around focusing on mental health issues. How do we help people who are in mental health crisis using reality-based training, using theater to do that, and are now starting to branch that out and do more and more work in anti-bias, anti-racist work through the reality-based training and using, again, theater as healing. So we're just, we're on that, we're on that path. Yes. <laughs> a a yeah. pretty big path that we're trying to figure out and, and, um, and, and, and figure out how to really sort of create a really strong structure that is, is really accessible, of course, for everybody affordable and, and, and impactful. Great, great. Well, so welcome. And with that, so, you know, before we get into the discussion, I just want to ask the two of you, what does artivism mean to you? Uh, you know, let's just start with that because, you know, change-based work has room for a lot of different perspectives and approaches. And so if either of you could talk about that, uh, you know, let's get started there. Well, I mean, we had, we had talked about it briefly before. I mean, I'm just someone, I'm also a visual artist and I feel the whole point of art is to try to, you know, good art gets inside people's heads. It's, it's supposed to make you think and reflect in some way. So to me, just with that nugget, it grows out of that. Yeah, I also feel like, particularly with theater, with this, the, the sort of element of sort of storytelling, of being able to be, bring people together to share stories, really helps uh, build the muscle of empathy. It really helps connect us. This sort of act of dehumanization, which I feel like is really prevalent right now and is, uh, I feel like, at the core of a lot of, just a lot of the violence that we're seeing, I feel like one of the great things about art is that it stops that it stops the act of dehumanization because you're actually connecting with people hearing their stories and that is and so while that might feel like a strange version of activism mm -hmm. i think it's some it's like radical love it's really important yeah. and does this really this this profound thing and so in that respect i feel like and i know we were saying this earlier i feel like all artists are activists yes um and it's yeah, just critical to keep it alive, <laughs> obviously. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I was saying we're sort of currently at this time, we're missing that component that I feel that is the magic juice in all of this. When, when you can get people together in an intimate environment and tell them a, a story, it doesn't have to, you don't have to embellish it or anything, just you know, communicate in that way earnestly, it, the change and the effect happen. Yeah. And now we can't, we can't gather like that. What I wanted to ask is, you know, why theater or, or what can, you know, what does theater uniquely bring and what, what happens in the mind and the body? You know, let's talk about the body, <laughs> you know, when we pretend. and we Well, I mean, that's, Julie mentioned the word before and it comes up a lot in the police training is the idea of muscle memory. And even for me as a performer, I could learn all the words in a script, but until I go through the motions on stage, things, things don't stick. You know, you can, you can have all the words in your head, but it, it really comes alive when you can go through the motions with those words and ideas in the environment that they're intended for. So there's something very in the muscle, in the flesh about moving in those ways, even, even dancers. I mean, there's something very important in that movement. Yeah, I feel like you hold on to that in a different way, right? When it's like actively in you. So particularly thinking about the reality-based training we do, so much of the work we do is focused on success. So right. if we're working with law enforcement and we're, you know, we're, let's say like we're in a scenario, maybe perhaps I'm playing like a victim of sexual assault and, and we're, we're working with them on verbal skills and such. If we can come to a place of success where they're actually able to use their words to go through the motions, to get up and do it, and then walk away feeling like, okay, I did these things and I succeeded. I helped this person. Like good came out of it. When they're in the field, that moment happens, they'll remember it because their muscles remember it right? We have this like kinesthetic response. Yeah. And so because of that, they hold it in a different way as opposed to just sitting in a lecture. And I feel like that's one of the things that theater really does, that it moves you and then you hold it in a different and more profound way. I think the exciting thing about what you do, positive policing, is that you've been doing it for a long time, over a decade. And I'm just going to throw this at you. It's unscripted and it, <laughs> so I apologize for that. But 
what have you what have you seen in in the decades you know in in doing this work for that long <laughs> well well i, I want to say like positive policing is sort of what has came out of this work that we've formed and i mean we've been engaging in that for several years julie's been doing role play since the beginning with apd that goes 30, 30 years ago i i came to the work through other mutual acting friends and the fact that I was doing similar work already. So, you know, I just, I just want to clarify that it's been 30 years that Julie's been doing this work and I've been doing it for over 10, 12 years. Yeah. The, the role play with law enforcement, yeah. Yeah, and it felt like an organic, I mean, to, to, to sort of build on the reality-based training, which is sort of its own specific thing that has to do with training with law enforcement and utilizing actors to do that so that you have, you know, actors that really dig in and do do the work. So not only are you doing all your normal actor work, like creating real characters, backstory, et cetera, but we also do a, we also spend a lot of time learning the mental health and the law enforcement aspect of it so that we can work with them, even with, you know, officer safety or things like yeah. that. But, and so, you know, there's all this actor work, but it, it feels like a really natural, progression for Daryl and I, even in the, even in the, the projects we're choosing. So like Daryl yep. and I, like we recently, several years ago, we produced Hands Up, which is, um, you know, seven, seven, seven different African-American playwrights around the nation wrote monologues in response to Trayvon Martin's murder. And, and so we're playing around this idea of like performance as healing and, and, and having conversations after and having more unique conversations, not just to talk back but like, what are the different ways we can use many different aspects of, of theater, but also gathering to address these issues, to pull people together that you wouldn't maybe normally pull together, to hear stories you maybe wouldn't necessarily hear. You know, for me, because I do a lot of work in international work, a lot of it for me is about producing work from, from different nations that what I sort of refer to as sort of nations that have been stigmatized. Um, in certain ways. And so when we're able to hear stories from different nations that we've never been to, so we don't actually know, we yeah. just hear something on the news and make a decision that all that stuff really breaks away. And I think this, all of this work does a similar thing. Yeah, even even with the positive policing, the, the trick that uh, Hakeem and I sort of came upon is as we were, you know, playing with the idea, it was just that, well, through the role play, we observe, we have them observe role play with me doing my job with the police officer, just role playing as I normally would in a training scenario. But the idea is then we get the audience involved, but, but the theater trick is when we actually switch roles, when we have a police officer now sit in the role of a person in a car and one of our participants, whether it's a child or anyone just walk up and now they're playing the role of the police officer something magical happens there that is really hard to explain when you take that split second to wear someone else's shoes for a moment. And it's, it's not even, you know, the, it's more like the byproduct is the magic that comes out of that, not the, not the actual game or engagement itself. It's that, that moment where, again, you're holding space for someone else inside your own body. Um, at, at this point, I, I'd like to invite, uh, participants to ask questions in the chat. And then later we're going to open up, open it up to voice questions. Uh, so if anybody has a question for, for Daryl and Julie, please, um, you know, put it in the chat and I'll, I'll ask the question. You know, what I'm curious about is what are you doing now? Now that you're so, you know, your work is so necessary and yet we can't really meet, you know, we can't meet the way we used to. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I have currently been doing uh, a fair amount of role play with law enforcement as they are trying to deal with the COVID issues and continue the training. It was sort of something that got held up in a lot of ways by trying to figure out uh, how to deal with the virus. So um, oddly enough, the last few weeks, I've been doing a lot of additional role play. But apart from that, now we're really trying to figure out looking forward a new way of approaching i mean the problem and the issues have only become more prevalent so how do we go ahead with this love assault to this problem i, I think the the analogy i used before um was you know the the flaming sword to fight the dragon we always had was theater and intimacy and getting people together 
but now we have to fight uh, the dragon and it's bigger and badder than before, but we don't have our flaming sword. So trying to figure out how to do it. Yeah, that's a lot of it is just coming up with some creative, different creative ways that we can continue to do it either virtually or in smaller, safer environments. But also we're really working with, particularly here in Albuquerque, we're working with, with the city, we're working with Albuquerque Police Department, we're working with our crisis intervention unit in order to also address what is what is happening and and the need for police reform and what that can look like and and the need for different kinds of training and how we can be a part of that and then you know and really daryl and i are also trying to figure out a little bit of how to be a bit of a bridge for that because we yeah. do have a unique situation where we are artists we're community activists we're pretty well known in our community and and you know most of the people for us who are out protesting our sort of our, you know, there are friends, there are yeah, sort friends, of artists, family, kids we've watched grow, grow up. Yeah. And, and so because we then also do work with law enforcement, we have this unique place in the middle. And so, so really trying to have the honest, authentic conversation. I mean, Daryl and I have been able to go to the police officers and say, we're conflicted. You know, I, I'm, I've thought about quitting because I don't know <laughs> if I should be working with you. Like, this is hard and we're trying to figure out what to do, but we want to be a part of the solution. And, and what's nice is that Daryl and I do have a position where we can be really honest and ask the hard questions and then try to take the hard answers and put them into the mix, you know, and then go over here. And so some of it is just about, I mean, theater is gathering people, it, you know, it is, it is, I mean, it's foundation is in ritual, which had to do with all of us coming together yeah. and doing something that sort of brought us together. So this is just a different version of it. We also spent some time this morning figuring out how to have a theatrical protest because we are potentially facing federal agents coming here. And so we've been yeah. trying to think about what are some and since that is its own performance, that is a different yeah. kind of performance, we're curious how to combat it with our really unique community here in Albuquerque yeah. and find a safe way. So we, we're throwing around a bunch of ideas, of theatrical ideas there. So, so that's the stuff we're kind of doing day to day. Yeah. Just, you know, yeah, yeah. With our experience, I were, you know, intimately aware, at least that the local APD's police department is making the effort for those some of those reforms and we're involved with that we know the people so it's very different as far as that fear factor but the idea of federal authorities coming in here and now i mean really setting what we've done back who knows how many years it's almost like you know it's i guess the the term people are the the dog whistle well we're the dogs are answering. Okay, we, we have a lot of questions. I see those, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. so have, uh, this is a good one, uh, have policemen join, join the performance? And there's a question mark at the end, so I'm assuming yeah. that's a question. We were, it's funny, because Daryl and I were just talking this morning, like we have this idea to do, we're thinking about doing like icon work, pulling these like, sort of like famous images from the civil rights movement and creating these sort of living statues that move through this iconography with our bodies, like creating a, a protest like that. And that wouldn't it be interesting if we could get the police to sort of surround us and and protect us and sort of perhaps, and I have no idea. So I don't, I don't know if they could actually join the performance, but we've certainly thrown that idea out and curious to see what could happen with that. But they definitely, and I'll let Daryl speak to it, but they definitely, I mean, they, in a way, they do, they do contribute to the performative uh, um, elements of, of it because they do come to our positive policing events and really, they really throw themselves in. Yeah. yeah. I mean, over the years, I've developed relationships with different people in the, and specifically the police department. And I, I try to um, identify officers that have a, you know, sort of a desire to sort of help reform help represent the the uniform in, in that way so um i find certain people to work with that are a little more you know laid back and not traditional and then i you know there's not many officers uh specifically black officers that end up in albuquerque so i i try to gravitate towards them but once i sort of find officers that i vibe with that have good energy around these you know, different groups, um, you know, they, they tend to want to participate is, is the thing that surprises me. They actually, you know, there, there are plenty of them really enjoy that engagement. So I really, you know, I'm looking for officers specifically who, you know, feel that's part of 
what they should be doing. Yeah, that seems to be the key always in, uh, in community-engaged work is, is finding the people who are the boundary crossers and, and then, you know, starting with them. And uh, so we have a really good question from Keith Lee, and he wants to know, what are the backgrounds and training of the performers? And are they trained actors or community members? Yeah, and I wonder, I think I could also speak, Meg's had one just about the process, and I think we could just really quickly yeah. sort of like, when it comes to, to C-Works and positive policing, so they, they are professional actors. We do, we do audition and choose sort of particular professional actors, so they need to have skills. They need to be able to impro improvise. They need to have improv improvisation skills. They also really need to understand the work. This isn't about ego. It's not actually about the performance. This is about process. It's incredibly important that they understand success is the goal. This is not like, hooray, I get to go and scream at cops. That sounds like fun. So, so we really try to vet people well, that they really feel like they're the right performers. And then, you know, we make sure that there's, of course, just like your normal acting tools, like we were talking about, really, really fully developed characters, understanding the context, the scenario. But then there's also a certain amount of training and understanding and knowledge that needs to happen around law enforcement um, just so they have it not that the average you know citizen has all of that information but just so they have it but they do also need to have it around particularly with the people who are in these crises that they understand that so that that we they have training in mental health down to things like understanding the difference between if someone is suffering from a um a, a, a psychotic delusion from um, methamphetamines, let's say, the kind of delusions that they're going to have are going to be very different from someone who is actually suffering from a mental illness, a chronic mental illness, like schizophrenia, something like that, and they're seeing things. So these are two different things. And officers, good officers, particularly crisis intervention officers, are trained in this. So when you're able to describe like, oh, it's a little green man, or there's a shadowy figure, the officer often can go, okay, and you're giving them other tells, right? So you're chewing on your lip and you're twitching around. They're able to go, okay, I think perhaps yeah. this person is on meth and is having delusions. And so actually this is a moment where medical, there really is some medical help that can happen here. We need to get them, you know, like this is what we'll do. Whereas if someone is exhibiting behavior that appears like they have a long-term mental health and they're just off their medication or don't have access to their medication, this might be a different conversation where you really can have the conversation with the person. And you can have conversations with all the people, but I mean, you know, there's different things that you do. Yeah, so, different approach. Yeah, so the actors need to have all of that information. So we work in training that. Then we create and write these really elaborate scenarios. The scenarios are based on real life events that happen here in Albuquerque. So we get access to lapel cams. You know, we have to sign away like all of our, we like can't yeah. ever talk about it or mention yeah. names. Very, very private. But we're able to watch real lapel cams. We're able to read real CADs, the police reports. And then we pull from that and create scenarios from domestic violence to um, sexual assault, yeah, everything that happens to create the most authentic scenario possible. And then we train our actors in that. And then, and so basically what we do is, you know, they do these various classes. And so we might have five different scenarios going on with let's say 25 officers. You have a facilitator, a law enforcement facilitator, and ideally you also have a mental health facilitator doing it together. And then you'd have five participants that are law enforcement or cadets, or even community, we have, we do 911 operators, we do, you know, medical yeah. folks. Yeah, all yeah. kinds of people. And it's just about teaching, you know, people can't become doctors in, you know, one 40 hour class, but you can begin to sort of recognize that, or even just to get over the hump of fear of approaching someone who is screaming about, you know, monsters in the trees, and we all just ignore it and walk away and instead go, hey, my name's Julie. What's your name? What's going on with you today? It looks like you're having a rough time. Like, can I help you? These sort of skills. And again, it's about getting that muscle memory. They get over the hump of that and they remember, oh, I did that once and it worked. I could potentially do that again. And so that's sort of, a, in a nutshell, that's sort of our training. And so we sort of offer that. And somebody else asked, so we're, our organization, the, the head of it is located in Denver, although it started in Albuquerque. And so one of the main ones is in Albuquerque. And then, and then but we are national, like we do go out 
to various places, we can be contracted. And then same with positive policing, we're local and we're, we're a nonprofit, Daryl Hakeem and I work together, but we all are so always happy to both have conversations with people, people want to try to pull models into their own communities. We're also happy to help facilitate and things like that. So while we're locally based, you know, we do sort of try to spread nationally as we can. Hopefully that answered several questions at once. And what what is the national name? Gigi Galloway is asking. Oh, so C-Works? C-Works. So, and I can, yeah. So here, I'll type it in the thing. So Awesome. Yeah, and we're going to share that. (laughs) Yeah, I I mean, I, you know, I'm a SAG actor. Uh, I've been in a couple TV shows and movies. We have a film industry here. So that's, you know, for me, it was like, oh yeah, initially the idea was about any finding any work that I could utilize acting in, but like Julie says, this this um, skill set has a lot to do with a bunch of other things as well. And I'm fortunate to grow up in a law enforcement family, or at least my father was in the military and police. So at an early age, I had a, an understanding of, of well, I'm I, even a little deeper than that. Is I mean, as a teenager in the '80s, I knew that. Uh, as a young black man, a person of color, that I was at risk, you know, driving around in the streets, doing things that I probably shouldn't have been doing. So because my dad was a police officer, I I thought, well, I'm going to have to have a plan for this. And that's really where I started. You know, I I tell people I've had, I was mistaken for an armed robber at 16 at an all-subs here. I've been pulled over in almost (laughs) every state from here to New York City. But I've had predominantly positive outcomes in those encounters, not necessarily because the officer knew how to handle me, but because I knew how to handle the officer. And because I I knew how to maintain a rapport and safety for myself in those situations that put him at ease, mainly not just so I could get out of there, just so I, you know. So that in itself is how I grew up approaching it. And then... Years later, I moved to New York and happened to be at the Tompkins Square Park riots when the police were filmed doing bad things. And I was active and involved in this, this protest in 1988. And it's, it stayed with me for years. So um, the process has always been there for me as far as how to stay safe in those environments. And it's just been, this is the way that I can sort of direct that energy and that that experience and knowledge to help others and you know I've always been able to have a good response from the law enforcement that I work with where 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 were you living in the 80s in Albuquerque okay yeah, I, I I had a little uh, convertible sports car Italian sports car and uh, the speed limit was 55 back then and I did not go the speed limit so I got pulled over a lot I think at this point we are going to open up the mics so so that if yeah so that um you know just before we do you know just please be um respectful of everyone else if you notice that you have a lot of background noise please you know be proactive and mute yourself but uh yeah that's gonna happen so anyone would like to speak their question um hi this is um oh hello can you guys hear me Mm mm-hmm Yes. Okay. This is, sorry, I'm joining in in the car while I'm driving with my kids in the back seat, so I can't see the chat. I feel really disconnected. I, I don't like this format, but I'm also trying to get out of town. So, um, <laughs> Do it escape for, you know, well, yeah, no, uh, the joys of working remotely. They don't know where I am. But so I have like a million questions. I'm going to try to boil it down. Going back to day one, 30 years ago when this program, um, when you first started doing this work, how did you approach the city? Um, and the police department, and what is, and now today, what is kind of your contractual agreement with them? Do they help fund this project? Um, is it mandatory for their new officers or, you know, or so on and so forth? So just kind of how, how the process has gone from approaching them in the beginning to where it is now. Well, we have, we have, we have to give APD the credit for yep. approaching us, but I'll let, yep. I'll let Lee take it from there. Yeah, I mean, you know, all law enforcement has versions of training and, you know, we can sort of assume they have not been great. And 30 years ago, APD, it was a um, Captain uh, Pete DeVosto, they were doing internal trainings and, and he just, he thought, wow, we really, what if we brought in real actors? 
And so he actually came to the Department of Theater and Dance at the University of New Mexico, thinking that there could be a partnership there. And one of the, the you know, the chair of the department was into that. And so I, that's why I got involved. I happened to be a student um, at the time. This was like in 1991, I think. And so they, they pulled a handful of us and we, then we started developing the program. And, and it absolutely, so first of all, we do four different scenarios for every single police academy. So the cadets, the Albuquerque Police Department, the cadets all get this kind of training. And then they are required to do something called the 40-hour crisis intervention class. And we do two full days with them of doing these various scenarios. And, and officers are supposed to, to do that. And there's a myriad of other sort of things that they do. And the city supports it, the, the, the city, because the you know, city ultimately are the bosses of the, the, the police department, that particular police department and and they contract with Seaworks and and Seaworks works hard to try to be equitable and pay us well and you know decent hourly wages and with a good team of folks and so yeah so it's but you know. but positive policing you know we it's it's been funded by charitable foundations we've tried to find other sources through the city but it has been difficult I also you know in an effort to be involved with as much of this work as possible I also contract with other companies that do similar work that have requested, you know, me as a role player to be present. So um, I also do training with APD's training uh, sergeant, as well as another company that, that does role play. That role play often involves firearms and other stuff as well. So there's additional training that or experience that I have that helps me with that. But, you know, I, I, I have, I was shot with, you know, marking cartridges lately and uh, other stuff. So uh, there's a lot of, there's a lot of different energy around this work. And I'm just trying to find ways to make sure that I'm involved. We, we have a good, uh, a question from Keith Lee. Are, are you able to give two or three specific examples of how members in the community benefit from your theatrical scenarios or is this only a police training program? Yeah, I, I actually was just about to jump in on Daryl's because I thought it would also help um, answer that question that Keith had. So like one thing we're developing right now um, is a bystander training um, program that is similar, that uses reality-based training. We're specifically working with the w Women's Resource Center at the University of New Mexico. So we're looking at sexual assault and sexual harassment and how can we teach people how to be, you know, how to intervene, how to be bystanders yes. to intervene if they're seeing something happening. And, and so again, we just feel like this theatrical training is, is one of the best ways to do it. And so same kind of idea we're pulling from, unfortunately, from real reports that have happened on campus and creating scenarios. So one very specific example we can give you, we worked with students recently where, you know, you wake up in the middle of the night, you got to go to the bathroom, you live in a place with a bunch of, you know, with like four or five different roommates. You notice your male roommate sitting on the couch with a female. She's clearly very, very drunk. She doesn't appear to sort of be all, you know, she, she appears pretty inebriated and it makes you feel weird and so what do you do what do you do and like maybe that guy's the president of your frat but what do you do you don't walk away and so um and so we just have them jump in and work on it and so daryl you know daryl and i might do that where i play the you know we go back and forth and hey baby come and it, back to my room come on yeah and it's you know and, and so they're and so they're able to just try these different tactics like how do you you know how do you you know how do you sort of like get get his attention and pull him away how do you get her attention hey what do you need can i help you etc so that's maybe one example of um that's particularly with specifically in that case trying to help students if you see something what can you do to help and yeah. that uses the, these theatrical scenarios and ideally this would be stuff that would happen all the time it would be free there'd be community events it would be about how do we just how do we help our community our neighbors how yeah. do we take care of each other watch out for each other how do we learn to talk to each other it's a conflict resolution um it's yeah. it's empathy and caring and these are just when, tools when, have. when you have a friend who might be saying things that that you know that how do you deal with a friend who might be talking about suicide, you know, that's, that's a question that, you know, a lot of people aren't prepared to deal with, don't have a plan, don't have a strategy. So when that moment happens, you might let it go by and that might be the only chance that you had. So 
you know, luckily with the, the kids, I've been focusing on, on like the role play of a, of a uh, car stop. And I did it at one of the schools downtown right before all this stuff happened. And those students, I had three days of bringing officers to the school to engage in role play and answer the, the difficult questions that the kids had. And afterwards, groups of kids that I knew were at, in attendance were also in attendance at the Black Lives Matter marches and also had other encounters with police. So I saw some of the kids who were there with us, you know, on, on the TV talking about how we have to work with the police or other kids who told me personally that they had encounters afterwards and what they learned helped them feel comfortable. So, I mean, even if I could just have one of those, but I'm fortunate to have several of those stories, that's the whole point. Yeah. So, so Keith, <laughs> I, I know you wrote your questions. You have, um, you know, you're, you're welcome to, un, you know, unmute yourself. And if anybody else has a question, please do feel free to jump in. Just go ahead and unmute yourself, or or you can also write your question. I've unmuted, uh, and and I often like to write the question into the chat box as well as speak it. But sometimes I like people to other people to speak the question. I, I find this discussion very interesting, and I you know I keep thinking about what they do at Playback Memphis, which is a version of what they what you're talking about. They actually work with the police department. It would have been wonderful if they were another group on this call with you to talk about the distinctions about how they do. And I so some of the it. questions that come to mind is that it seems like your programs are focused more on training and police are benefiting from it, but I'm not so sure how community members are benefiting from these types of training. I love the idea of working with students in, in those kind of uh, sexual discrimination uh, agendas. And so I think the core of what you're doing is really positive. I'm just not sure if it has a greater outreach in the ways that some of the playback theater has, where there's a, a, a instant gratification between community and actors and improv and those types of things. So in my mind, I'm like, well, is there a way to combine these two? Because I think playback, the playback performances I've seen don't necessarily address some of the greater details and issues as you do in research. So is there a middle ground? I guess that's the question. Is there a middle ground? Is there this interactive ground where these two theatrical, I don't know, performances or genres can, can interact and create a, a greater awareness? We just need the stage. We just need the venue. I mean, the, the beauty... <laughs> That's the beauty of, of this whole formula and how it works. I mean, yes, I, we, we, we'd love to collaborate with other, you know, groups. I, you know, through the creative placemaking, I, I met a lot of different groups that were doing similar work and using theater in similar ways um, and attacking similar issues. But, you know, having the, a large enough venue to present this work has really been the problem. You know, we, we do theater in the dark corners and black boxes around the country. We, we need the right venue to really present this stuff. And, and I think the more groups like that that we could bring together, you know, like I said, Julie and I are planning some just guerrilla, you know, pop-up theater to, to try to achieve that. But we need the venue. But I yeah. like what I, I I like what this is a new venue. It it's, right, it's still right. gathering. So this <laughs> is the venue now. And yes. so yes. I, I mean I, I appreciate what you're saying, but for the next three to five years, you know, that's my time <laughs> I don't this, like this venue. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 again, but it is and it has great potential for outreach. I mean, it is international, it's global. And so again, how do you use this black box? Because this too is a black box. And I'll let Julie pick up from here. Yeah, I, sorry, I just want to say that this is really great, Keith. And I did want to say, so we, we ha so we, we don't do that particular exact style of playback theater, which has to do with really addressing emotions and what's happened in the moment and then reenacting it. That's like really amazing. Um, but we, we, you know, we, you know, part of our just artistic program, we feel like has had sort of elements of that with more testimonial theater, verbatim theater, this sort of style of stuff. 
But I wanted you to know that playback theater is something we have started to investigate. We're, look, we're specifically talking with a group in San Diego that also does playback theater. Although it's great to know about the one in Tennessee, I'm definitely going to look them up. So thank you for that. Because the hope would be that it is a multifaceted program. So you have reality-based training, you have this sort of gathering discussion, then there is also, you know, this idea of playback theater. There's also testimonial theater. There's theater as performance as healing. We were even playing around with um, looking at sort of like like a mapping process so that it also still has some sort of interactive and play, uh, you know, elements of play as we're mapping the journey of like, you know, what, 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 what we're doing and what's happening. So it, we're definitely in the beginning of that. And I think one of the greatest things, of course, is by bringing more of us together and figuring out how we can partner and and I'm with you. I mean, I, I, I very much want us to come together, but I, we just had a meeting the other day with our, one, of our, one of our other colleagues and we were like, well, the thing about this is we can eat, we don't have to fly somewhere <laughs> and put together a thing that only people in you know, Minneapolis are able to experience. We can be creating more of these, pulling in more different groups, more artists and create and be able to reach more people. So it's exciting. I think we're just, as far as expanding the program, we're, we're, we are a little bit at the beginning phases of that, even though we've been doing this reality-based training for a long time. Yeah, and, and I just would like to interject, Keith, let's talk. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm inviting you to contact me. I, I'll share my email address. And, you know, Daryl and Julie, you know, there, there's no rule about this that says that we can't meet again this way and have a, have a more uh, structured conversation mm -hmm. about something a little more specific. And, and so... And I think we have to release ego around it. Like this needs to yeah. be happening every, it, we just need to be helping people. And, and it, so it's, you know, I mean, I get it with like ownership of work and I, you know, I understand, but I'm like, I'm, I'm re we're like, oh my gosh, if this is working, yeah. take it and do it. Who else can we please, work with? Please. You know, yeah, that's who else? Yeah, that's, and because people are, as someone else mentioned Irondale, I am familiar with their work. Um, Amanda, I met Amanda um, before we've talked, and there's also a great organization here, Keshet Center for the Arts, that's particularly looking at a juvenile justice system, because that's another issue. I mean, the justice reform is a giant thing. So we also were doing some stuff around theater with post-release, particularly with young people, because also we've got to stop recidivism. We've got to help with, you know, the, with kids that are coming out and or any individual that's coming out of the justice system. How do we help support those folks? And I do think that theater and arts is another way to help that. So it's a, it's a large, it's a big yeah. thing. Well, I mean, I, that's, yeah. well that, that's the thing, like, you know, again, we, we focus, you know, our work focuses on police work. It's very easy to focus on the negativity of the police and what's going on there. But I can't stress enough that it's a larger beast that also involves the courts, it involves the prisons, it involves education, and all of that stuff is, is contributing to the situation that we're in. And if we don't look at you know, addressing those systemic ills, nothing's gonna change. And theater's the only way I know how to approach it. At, at this point, I, I'm like super curious if there's anybody here on this call who is from a sector other than the theater arts or other than the arts. And, you know, not, I'm not putting anybody on the spot, but is there anybody here from a different sector? Yeah, yeah. I am. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, whoever else was speaking. <laughs> I just said you should. All right, I'll go first. Um, I'm a healer and, a, and an artist, but my art is, is more visual. I do painting. Awesome. I am a choral director, and so I'm in the musical space and working on... Ultimately, I, I started a chorus in Jerusalem for Israeli and Palestinian teens. Oh, wow. And, and it's, it's a chorus and a dialogue program, so we're doing a lot of the work around the community building, but also around deepening discussion and understanding around issues as well. So it doesn't just stop at like, oh yeah, we're all friends and singing and it's nice, right? But it's like, what do you do in that container? And, uh, and I'm working now actually on a, on, a start, on a startup social venture that would be incorporating the dialogue processes and musical community building processes to help groups deal with culture transformation um, and then ultimately create original songs and music videos to like help them do that. But uh, I think the the theater work also is like a lot of components that are super, super important to draw on also as like I'm thinking about it 
I'm, I'm just super fascinated by all the things that you were sharing. Thanks. Thanks. That's, that's amazing work too. Thanks. Ritual. And, Ritual. Yeah. And it's yeah. important. I think as we're having conversations and looking at models and, and, and being able to partner that we're, that we're also doing the work ethically, that the right people are at the table, that the right people are leading the work, you know, that it's being done thoughtfully. And that's a big thing I know I, I, I at least try really hard to pay close attention to. And I think one of the things that by working together and collaborating is we can check, we can check each other and make sure that there's ethics and balance and equity happening, or I hope. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is Keith again. I think it, that was a very good question because there are other art sectors that are doing similar work and it would be nice if it's happening interdisciplinary. And of course, with COVID, a lot of it's changing because some of the visual artists are also trying to figure out how to do their work through, through online and digital. So again, I, I think the opportunity to, to create a lot of different things uh, in this moment. And so, you know, I think it's it, I think it's mindful to keep an eye on other disciplines as you continue to do this work because one of the things that, that strike me for this theater group is that in some of the scenarios that you've described and discussed, you may begin to work with uh, some film artists to actually put those home, and then when you have these kind of discussions, you can show a brief clip because many of us, well, at least I am wondering what this looks like. Uh, and so, you know, if you do get into a space or whatever, you can show a clip and then begin to talk about this is what went into this and how it looks. Because I think one of the things that I find very unique about what you're doing is that you have collaborated with the departments to get access to their their film, their records, and then create those scenarios, different ones from what playback can do. So again, I think you're in a unique space, and I would just like to see that space broaden. Well, I'm I'm also a filmmaker. I I do uh, I've done a lot of, of filmmaking, but part of it too is is I I have to say the there's some intimacy and and some trust that that goes on in in these and making safe spaces and that sometimes I feel film is is uh, you know getting in the way of, of some of that change, but I'm, I'm not opposed to using it in that way. I'm, I'm just saying I haven't found the right opportunity on our website. I try to have some of that stuff, but because I'm asking people to sort of be in this intimate, safe space, the officers, the participants, I feel it's sort of sometimes a violation of that space to bring cameras in. That's a lot of it. I'm, we are working on that, Keith, and that's really just had, I just wanna let you know, I'm writing down a lot of his notes. It's just really great <laughs> ideas and I really appreciate it so much. One of the reasons why there's not a lot of documentation of this work though is, is, is safety, is so that people can be vulnerable, so they really can dig in, so that we can keep the space safe. So it's a curious thing to look at, how do we document it, show it, model it and at the same time make sure that the integrity of the work that's happening in the room or on the zoom is is able to be authentic that someone isn't yeah. like oh i'm being filmed yeah yeah we'll, we'll keep and, working and, on and, that and, and let me say i'm not filming real people you did say you scripted some of the work and so you can conscript show just to augment the talk i, I understand and those kind of intimate ideas and details too i'm just saying that becomes a no, another method for these types of discussions for when we do become live again. So mm -hmm. again, so again, this is an interim space uh, and, and I, this is my marker, so I, I'll be stir crazy plus, but uh, you know, so again, and, and you, you already said you scripted things. So choose those actors to act out those scenarios and then you could talk about the impact and implications of those works. So again, I'm not putting anyone on the spot. I'm just saying this is an opportunity to think of new ways to occupy this black box. And, and again, I mean, I have a great deal. I have a lot of video of our events. I've uh, documented a great deal of it. But at the same time, I have minors and other people who may not have legally given me authorization to use their image. And because this venue is international and is more exposed as a filmmaker, I feel obligated to protect those people and not use those images without proper authority. Mm -hmm. And 
and not that I'm not, you know, I, I don't, I can't work around that in some way, but that's the major sort of holdback for me to just put so much of it out there because uh, again, the, the magic sort of happens in a, in a tighter space. But I appreciate all the suggestions as far as looking at it differently. I'm, my eyes and ears are wide open for those, off, those ways. But any other suggestions or ideas of how I could do it and protect the, the individuals who are participating yeah. Well, I think, um, sorry, I, I just want to say, I know we're at the end, but I just want to say really fast, we don't, we don't script. It's important that, I mean, yeah, there's, the script. scenario was there, but it, but it, it is live and in the moment, it's always new. But, but I think, Keith, you're onto something. I think what we do is figure out how to have the, these, these scenarios that are safe, that are actually not filmed, but the playback you're talking about is really exciting. That's the stuff that gets scripted. That's the stuff that gets performative. And that's the stuff that, and, and it can be coming out of this actual scenario that then had the training moment. We don't have that on film, but we're able to address it performatively over here, really looking at what's happened. And I think that there's something interesting there, I think that could really merge together, keep everybody safe, but put it out there. Yeah. I mean, it goes right yeah. to the, the pop-up theater we were just talking about, where we involve sort of representations of what we do as, as a, you know, in that venue, putting the police to protect us. But, we're, we're, we're looking at those ideas for sure. Yeah, I, I'm going to interject here two, two things. So I met Daryl because he and his colleagues per, taught a session at our Creative Placemaking Leadership Summit. This is going to sound like a little plug, but, you know, that session was kind of for the extended family, you know. So it was public, but it wasn't totally public. Right. So the people who were invited in to see the process were like minded, you know, artivists and people who consider themselves creative placemakers working at the intersection of sectors to address social challenges. And uh, so I, you know, it's my hope, Daryl, that, you know, people who were there really walked away with with some good new tools, you know. And, you know, perhaps that's, that's a, something to look at is like limited access, but yeah, but good question. You know, how do you do that when, when you're yeah. actually on camera, you know, already <laughs> and anybody could hit the record yeah. button. So, so with that, we are, we, we did pass the hour. <laughs> it's two, mm -hmm. it's, I know it's two o'clock here. It's noon there, right? Yeah. My mom, like third cup of coffee. So, woo. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I hope this was, you know, a good experience for everybody involved. It's always too short. And, and I always hate coming to this moment, but we like to think of it as the beginning of a conversation. So if you haven't done so already, share your contact information in, in the chat. We're going to share that out. We did record this, so we are going to share this recording only with people who registered and then Later, we're going to take the audio and, and make a podcast out of it. So thanks again. Thank you so much, Daryl and Julie. I mean, yes. and, and thank you, Andrea. I mean, so much yeah. love from New Jersey. I'm going to be thinking about the two of you and uh, reach out anytime. So. Thanks. Likewise, and I put my email um, in there. I really try to keep a lot of the administrative work off of Daryl and Hakeem so that they can just focus on the work in front of people. But so please reach out to me. I'm happy to connect you more, give more information. Um, it does look like SeaWorks uh, website is being weird. It's normally not, but, but reach out anytime and I'm happy to write back and, and continue conversations. So thanks. Yes, yes. Thank you You've been listening to Creative Place, produced by the National Consortium for Creative Placemaking. Visit us at cpcommunities.org to learn all about our programming. And if you like this show, please consider making a donation. Any amount helps. Bye for now.